Tonight we're uh, looking at Psalm 124. Um, when I was 17 or 18 years old, I was not yet saved. During that time, I found myself questioning um, the meaning of life, and I was also had a tremendous feeling of guilt over my sin. And while I didn't know Christ as my Savior, and yet I knew that there was a God, but I didn't know much beyond that. Um, it kind of felt like this life is pretty futile. I also, I felt so powerless against these things as I battled with them, really. And at that time, I didn't even yet have a clear understanding of how I had personally offended God by my sin. Even so, I felt helpless because I had nobody on my side, nobody with real power that could fend off these um, enemies, problems. Sure, I had loving parents and a loving family and loving friends, um, uh, but as wonderful as they are, they didn't have power over these enemies of mine. You see, I was not on the right side. And as loved ones eventually shared the gospel with me, I realized that I was on the wrong side because the maker of heaven and earth is against me because of my sin. If you're a Christian, what was it like before the Lord was on your side when God was not on your side? Let's open up to Psalm 124. And as you're doing that, Sorry, I don't have the page in your pew Bible, but as you're doing that, let me talk a little bit about the context of the, pa of the passage. <clears throat> so Psalm 124 is a song of ascents, and as we've learned in recent Sunday night sermons, um, this is one of the songs that the Israelites would uh, sing as they uh, would walk together up towards Jerusalem in one of their annual pilgrimages. At this time in Israel's history, there were plenty of dangers from surrounding areas, very powerful enemies. Um, so they would have felt the, the feeling of threat as they sing this song. Um, it would have been comforting to them. So this message of Yahweh being on their side would have been wonderful. Let's read Psalm 124 together. A song of ascents of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side... Let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger kindled, when their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Let's go first to verse 2 and consider this enemy. Look at how formidable that enemy uh, had uh, was for the Israelites. They rise up and try to swallow God's people alive, like a flood sweeping, over, uh, sweeping them away, or raging waters, or a torrent going over them. It creates this image of being helpless during a flood. Listen more to how this enemy is described anger kindled against them, it says. Um, this brings this image of kind of red-hot anger against the Israelites. And so there's this also this gruesome picture of being swallowed up alive. 
So this enemy is no joke. And let's also remember that the author of this psalm is David. I mean, just think about the enemies that he had, the Philistines, including Goliath, the Moabites, the Amalekites, Jebusites, Assyrians, to name a few. These were very powerful enemies. And based on the language David is using in this psalm and really some of the other psalms that we have um, in, in the Bible, he had a very realistic view of his enemies. He didn't underestimate their power. He knew that going against those enemies without Yahweh on his side would mean the destruction of him and his people. And we can see in this psalm that David knew himself to be weak instead of strong. Yeah, he doesn't under, uh, underestimate his own weakness. But what about us? Many of us don't understand how weak we really are. And why is that? Maybe others think highly of us. Maybe we have high self-esteem. Uh, maybe we got a great job or we've got a powerful position. When we think of our enemies, maybe we tend to think of ourselves to ourselves, hey, I got this. I can do this on my own power. We shouldn't be foolish though. Um, the best swimmer in the world, if dropped in the middle of a flood, will never stand a chance. But David also knew that those dangers from earthly enemies paled in comparison to the judgment from God himself. So let's consider how David sinned with Bathsheba. And he says in Psalm 51, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He knew that his sin was not just against Bathsheba and Uriah, but more importantly, he had personally offended God and rightly deserved eternal punishment for his sin. So yes, David looked and said, oh my, Lord, you did deliver me from this nation and that mighty nation, but you also delivered me from the wrath that I deserve from my sin against you. You see, those other countries were just physical pictures of sin, Satan and his attacks. David knew he had no power to cancel out his own sin. He didn't underestimate those things and didn't underestimate his lack of power. But David could confidently say that the maker of heaven and earth was on his side because the savior Jesus Christ was on his side. So David had this kind of high understanding of how powerful God is, what a great redeemer he had. The name of God that David uses in this psalm is Yahweh, the great I am. He also refers to him at the end of the song as, the, again, the maker of heaven and earth. And of course, it's easy for the maker of all things, heaven and earth, to save his people. Next, let's think uh, specifically about Christ in this psalm. As we think about the Israelites walking up the hill to Jerusalem, singing this psalm, when we read the psalm, we can think about Jesus, our Lord, walking up the hill of Calvary, carrying his own gruesome death instrument, the cross. And the days surrounding that, he was flogged, beaten, insulted, mocked. The anger of many was kindled against Jesus. Many people who wouldn't even normally agree with one another banded together because they hated him. In effect, the world was against him. 
And the prince of this world, the devil, was at work in these scenes. Verse 7 talks of a snare. And when an animal is caught in a snare, the animal becomes pretty powerless. I even think of one of those kind of metal tooth contraptions or kind of that has like jaw-like things in them clamping down on an animal's paw. They're kind of left in this pathetic state. Their freedom and their life are coming to an end because the hunter's coming and finds the animal is going to say, I got you. You're mine now. I'm going to kill you. My friends are not only going to celebrate now, but we're going to celebrate in the, in the days to come. I'm going to remember you and have a smile on my face every time I look up and see your fur on my wall. And they sure did get Jesus. They finally got him. After years of trying to get rid of him, they finally found a way to put an end to him. Or so they thought. And nobody on this earth came to his rescue. Yes, as Jesus was on the cross and breathed his last breath, it was like a person in a flood who'd been swept away. No longer anything to keep hold of, to keep them afloat. Can't tread water anymore. Can't get up to the surface because the waters keep pushing them down. There's no way to draw oxygen anymore. And as his lungs fill with water, he acknowledges that this is it. This is how I'm going to die. But Jesus' enemies didn't realize something. Just days before um, ascending the hill of Calvary, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking that his father would let God's wrath not be poured out on him. But he was, of course, willing to, according to his plan. Jesus didn't die merely because he had failed to escape his enemies. No, it had always been God the Father's plan that his son would die on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus' son knew this well. He was the only worthy sacrifice for our sin because Jesus is holy and without sin. He was the only one worthy of satisfying the punishment of my sin and your sin. And so God turned his wrath on Jesus, who became sin on our behalf. Instead of passing over Jesus, the Father directed his wrath on Jesus so that God's punishment would pass over us, would skip over us. But death could not hold him, amen? And the jaws of death could not keep him, because three days later, after his death, he rose from the grave. And his resurrection proves that Jesus' death satisfied the punishment for our sin. The snare, as it says here in the psalm, is broken. The grave had no claim on him. I mean, now that's power. When you die, death itself dies. That's what Jesus did. When Jesus died, the grave itself died. And just think about what Jesus' enemies must have been thinking after he came out of the grave. They thought they'd trapped him and killed him. His enemies must have been looking at one another saying, wait a minute, I thought we were done. I thought we'd won, finally. No. Sin and death have been crushed as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. His enemies thought they could stop Jesus by killing him. But not even death could stop him. He's alive again. His enemies' plans to kill him did work, although Jesus kind of allowed them to kill him, really. But his enemies' plans to stop him did not work. 
because he's now alive and well and at the Father's side. You see, God the Father had always been on his son's side. And yes, while on the cross, the Father turned his wrath on Jesus so that the punishment of our sins would be complete. But God raised his son from the grave. You see this destruction that's talked about in Psalm 24 that we read? Jesus did not escape it. But Jesus had to do that so that we would never have to taste destruction. He was punished for our sins so that we could escape the punishment that we rightly deserve. And for us, why would he even save us, rescue us, or choose us in the first place? After all, we've never done anything uh, to deserve it. God isn't on his people's side because his people have done anything redeeming. He's on their side because he is who he is. He's the redeemer. And he does it for his own glory's sake to make much of himself. And if you're here tonight and you're like me before I was a Christian, if you're somebody who does not have God on your side, he can be on your side tonight if you would turn from your sin and trust in him. By submitting to the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior, he will be yours and you will be his. And he is a wonderful Lord to have. Going back to my own testimony, somewhere around age 18 or 19, after hearing the gospel, the Lord worked in my heart miraculously and brought me to repent of my sins and trust in him. After being saved, I remember having a wonderful feeling, overwhelming sense of safety and joy because of Christ's death and resurrection. My sins were paid for, and God was on my side now. I was talking with John Henderson earlier this week um, about this passage, and he had this analogy where before knowing Christ, it's kind of like being in the first grade on a basketball team and other, and other first graders kind of being on the same team. But your opponents, your enemy, is like a team of fifth graders, much bigger kids. You're no match for them. Your team of first graders can't even like throw the ball up high enough to get it in the basket in the first place, right? <laughs> but suppose now that you had LeBron James on your side, on your team. That other team of fifth graders is suddenly no match for you and your team because you've got LeBron, right? It's a little bit like that when Jesus is on your side. Your opponent is no match for the maker of heaven and earth. No match for Yahweh. To close, there's an even bigger flood coming, the wrath of God. And then on that last day, it won't matter how much good or bad you've done, really. Here's what matters. Who's on your side? You need Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth, who provided a sacrifice for your sins. Let's pray. Father, you are a just and holy God, and you are greatly to be praised. We are indeed sinners in great need, and without your saving us, we are hopeless against sin, death, and the punishment that our sins deserve. We thank you 
that you turned your wrath and destruction on your son Jesus so that we could be saved. Thank you that you have saved or solved our biggest problem, that you have paid for our sins on the cross, forgiven us, and now even call us your people. Father, we pray for any here tonight that don't know you yet, that they would humble themselves before you, turning from sin and receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior, so that they would have Jesus on their side. And for those whose sins, uh, whose side you're already on, Lord, help us not to forget this psalm in your word. Um, work your word deep into our hearts. Thank you that you are on our side because of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.